0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we investigate the relationship between bacteria and agriculture and ways to make it more efficient. Now, methane is one of the big byproducts of agriculture, but it also is really bad for our environment. So how can we use bacteria to help clean up agricultural emissions by making methane into electricity? And we find out some tricks that bacteria use to have a feast as they undertake an invasion of a plant species on a farm. By now, most people understand climate change. And when they picture this, they often think about CO2 emissions as the be all and end all for Climate change. And this was certainly very much the focus, especially in the early days of campaigning around global warming, particularly like the Kyoto Protocol. But of course, CO2 is not the only contributor to anthropogenic climate change. Of course, there are other gases that are released as part of industrial processes or even through the burning of fossil fuels or agriculture that can have a pretty significant impact on our environment. One of them that obviously comes to mind is methane. Now, methane is produced as an emission in a number of different places. Primarily, you get it's a large amount in agriculture, mainly from livestock or the feed strategies themselves. Now, you also get a huge chunk, 65%, from you know, oil and gas, mining and leakage, and all the burning of, of these fossil fuels. But the thing about methane is that over a 20-year period, it actually warms the planet 86 times more than the equivalent amount of carbon dioxide. But methane remains in the atmosphere for about 12 years before degrading. And around 60% of total methane's emissions, well, they come through a lot, 40% through geological processes, but the rare 60%, that comes purely from anthropogenic human activity. And agriculture being, as like I said, one of the big drivers of this. So methane is part of that piece of climate change reduction. And if we want to tackle climate change seriously, we have to not look at just CO2, but also understand and bring down our methane emissions. Now, when you think about methane one thing you have to think about is of course cows and agriculture because cows as livestock and it's not to pick on cows and sometimes people make jokes about this talking about cow farts but it it is actually emissions from livestock is a serious contribution of methane but there are many others as part of the runoff or the use of fertilizers or you name it as part of the agricultural industry so it's not just cows it's also just in general agricultural emissions So if we can have a way that could cut down on the amount of methane hanging around or being emitted, then that would be a really, really good thing for humanity because it will help us achieve our climate targets. And that's what researchers from the Radboud University, Niemcegen, have published in The Frontiers of Microbiology. Now, lead researcher Helene Oetbe on this paper, along with a large list of collaborators, were investigating a particular type of bacteria, one that was pretty interesting, because it's found in some methane-rich locations in the Netherlands. The bacteria in particular is the Ceditatis methionperontins. It uses methane to grow as its natural feed source. And it can be found in freshwater locations like ditches, lake swamps that occur in the Netherlands. And these bacteria thrive in these spots when the surface water is contaminated with nitrogen. And they often use this nitrogen to help break down the methane around that area and thus also act not only as their food source, but you know, they can thrive with it. And so one of the researchers saw that this bacteria needed a lot of methane. Well, they thought, well, maybe there's a way we could turn this into something helpful. And they came up with the idea to generate power. Because, well, what are one of the things that we want to cut down on is methane emissions. And one of the things we need more of is clean sources of electricity. Why not do both at the same time? Like researcher and contributor on the paper, Cornelia In the current biogas installations, methane is produced by microorganisms and then subsequently burnt, which drives a turbine, thus generating power. That's great because the use of the methane to generate power is, is a better use than just emitting it into the atmosphere, but it still requires this burning of this biogas and it's a bit, you know, inefficient. So if there was a way to convert that methane without burning it, well, that would definitely be better. And that's where you can use these digesting systems to produce the methane in the first place, but add this extra bacteria into the loop to try and convert it somehow into electricity. So that's where the microbiologists from the came in. And what they did was effectively build a kind of battery with two terminals. One of those is the biological terminal, and the other one is the chemical one they grow the bacteria on one of the electrodes one of the terminals of this battery and the bacteria are growing and feeding on all of this methane that is around them and they're donating electrons as a result of this conversion of the methane so on a fundamental level when they're processing all this methane it creates free electrons free electrons need somewhere to flow and if they're on a cathode fantastic then this can enable them to flow through a a circuit this basically enables them to convert this methane consumption into actual production of electricity. And when they built this biological and chemical-based battery, they were able to convert 31% of the methane into electricity, purely through a biological means of its own, just using this bacteria and the chemical setup of this battery system that they made. Now, of course, that's not 100% or 80% or even 60%. But 31% is still better than burning brown coal. And as a starting point for research, it's a pretty interesting one because it shows ways that bacteria can be used to produce electricity, not just get rid of a waste product, methane, something that we want to not have emitted to atmosphere. We can also use it at the same time of doing that process, actually produce electricity, thus also lowering our emissions by bringing on board another renewable or greener source of electricity. This is a pretty interesting application of microbiology as it applies to, well, climate change and electricity generation. And it's some interesting research published in the journal Frontiers in Microbiology. The author was Helene Utbe and a list of collaborators, including Verben Berger, Jettin, Schittels, Dehergen, and Her- now in agriculture you have to worry about a lot of things not just emissions you have to worry about keeping your crop alive especially when bacteria come and infect it now one of these fascinating things about the way bacteria infections work is that they want to keep their host alive for at least a little bit because they don't want it just to immediately die. Then they have to find a new host. It's annoying and time consuming. You've got to move again. That's just a lot of effort. So what you really want to have is somewhere where you can get all of your needs met until basically it no longer works for you anymore. And that's pretty much what these bacteria do. Now in Northwestern US, a disease that affects things like corn, is called Stewart's Wilt. It's a type of bacterial infection that occurs on corn, but it can also happen with rice and jackfruit crops in past of the eastern Hemisphere. So what happens with this particular bacterial infection is the corn flea beetles carry this bacteria, Panotia stuartii, and deposit the bacteria in wound sites that the ba- beetles actually create when they're chomping down on the crop and leaves. And what you get then is these wound sites which have a lot of bacteria deposits in them. And then the infection spreads out from these locations. Now, what's really interesting about the way in which these infections spread is that well the bacteria do some pretty unusual things in the plant this species of bacteria infects the corn crops it actually makes the corn crop feed it a feast of all kinds of nutrients that keep that bacteria alive and thriving for ages before they eventually get around to actually killing and consuming all the plant cells. Basically, they rock up into town, extract all the nutrients and make that plant give them all that nutrients. And then, only then do they then turn to consuming and getting rid of the rest of the plant. That is amazing because it's one of the first time the scientists have actually have locked down on this dynamic flow of nutrients from plant to bacteria, which is actually designed specifically to support the spread of the bacteria during the initial stages of the infection. This basically, the bacterias are coming on a feast when they first arrive, and this is what helps them get established into that plant and then spread through. And a lot of this has to do with what's called the bacterial virulence factor, which is governed by a protein called WtsE, which is what initiates this mobilization of food and water into spaces inside the plant. Now, the bacteria use this protein, this mechanism, to actually direct the delivery of food and nutrients effectively, Where they are, not the other locations in the plant. And with this particular type of infection, because the beetles chow down on particular wound regions, that's where the bacteria is. So the bacteria will basically say, Hey, hey, deliver some food here. And the WTSC actually is what mobilizes and brings that food and nutrients into that location. Now, that's really useful for the bacteria, but not so useful for the plant. So Most breeding practices in corn are based on boosting the immune response once the bacteria gets in. Not so much actually stopping the plant itself just delivering the food straight to the bacteria. And yeah, you can have an immune system that can fight back against that bacteria, but if that bacteria is fighting fit and having all your food and you've got none, well, maybe you want to stop that first. And diving into that actual nutrient delivery pathway is a pretty interesting thing that researchers actually haven't looked at in the case of corn before. No one's actually been studying this dynamic flow of nutrients, as researcher Professor David McKay points out. And there have been no targeted efforts to control nutrient availability as a means of controlling Beneterra stuartli. It's not just this particular bacteria that use this trick. Other, Other bacteria probably do it as well, and no one has actually designed any mechanism to target this nutrient delivery pathway through WTSC. And this means maybe there's a way to tackle the spread of bacteria in plants, not just by boosting the immune response of the plant system, but actually by cutting off the food delivery service to them at the right times. And that's what these researchers have outlined in a journal in Cell, Host, and Microbe. Uh, Lead author on this paper was Irene Gensel, along with Laura Geiser, Gayania Kanyaki, Kelly McHale, Ying Zhao, Jean-Christian Kukon, Palo, Alonso and David McKay. Now, the way in which McKay and the team did this study was they actually took some maize seedlings and they infiltrated them with a powerful dose of infectious bacteria, creating a series of uniformly infected leaves. This gave them a model system where they could determine where the nutrients were being released and how they flowed through and what eventually happened with the death of the plant cells. And then they started just by observing what was occurring in these plants. And then they really zeroed in on the actions of WTSE, one of the class of proteins known as type two effectors. These proteins are transported from the bacteria into the affected plant cells. And it does two things. The first is suppress the plant immune response. And also as discovered in this case in Penigestriati, it actually promotes the availability of food and water. So, When the bacteria arrive, they release this particular protein, WTSE, and what it does is dials up Uber Eats or Deliveroo or any other delivery service, it gets the food and nutrients delivered to their location, but also at the same time, punches down the immune response of the cells in the area. And all of this activity takes place in the apoplast, a relatively dry compartment on the interior of the plant tissue, but outside of actually the plant cells itself, because the dryness is particularly important. WGSE's tricks is promoting the availability of water in this space. Um, it's like a water soaking method. So they're actually putting water where water isn't normally meant to be in the plant cells. Oh, and again, another way of the bacteria actually subverting most of the plants defense mechanisms. They're not expecting any water here. And all of a sudden they're delivering more and more water as triggered by this bacteria, which is great for the bacteria and confusing, but also not great for the plant as well. And one of the things that they realize is infection causes this water to accumulate in the apoplast as well. And it does it well in advance of actually the plant cells starting to die off because that water is basically being delivered and feeding the bacteria. So once the bacteria has enough water to drink and nutrients delivered through that water, the apoplast begins to fill with nutrients and the sources of nitrogen and carbon and sugar and amino acids all start to give the bacteria its strength to establish this new beachhead inside this plant. And it's all happening in the apoplast rather than in the plant cells themselves. So basically the bacteria is building their own parallel little region where they can get all their water, get all their food and get happy. And then once they've got that, had that feast, they can then go about their business of taking over and destroying all the plant cells. Now they measured this actually by removing the bacteria from the plants and measuring how much carbon and nitrogen were taken up in a specific period of time. And it was like six to 30 times higher than what would have been normally found in that region of the plant. That's nuts, like it is basically draining, extracting all of the, some of the major amounts of nutrients and water available to this plant and directing it to a space it's not meant to be and only could be used by that bacteria. So this is a pretty amazing thing. The bacteria is actually coercing the maize, the corn in this case, to actually do its bidding, deliver its nutrients directly to it, like an invasive colonizer, extracting the wealth and riches of a country before exporting them back to its home colony. And this is basically what the bacteria is doing, getting all the nutrients and goodness for itself, starving off the rest of the plant, and then going about consuming the rest of the plant. It's a really nasty way that bacteria work, but it's a really effective strategy for them, particularly in maize. Now, the good part is these researchers now understand it as they outlined in their paper in Cell Host and Microbe. And by targeting this particular WSE protein, researchers can now know this playbook exists for the bacteria and develop strategies to fight against it, which is also radically important for helping ensure the survivability of the crops that isn't just completely reliant on dumping everything full of pesticides a fascinating paper on the way in which the bacteria infiltrate and have a feast inside corn whilst they are under the process of taking it over. Published in the journal Cell Host and Microbe, lead author was Irene Gensel. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From bacteria that turn methane into electricity through a smart process and to the way that bacteria can infect corn plants and make them have a feast before development. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Anatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the young scientists of Australia.